We're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. Your job is to stand. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. Now, as you know, be discerning and test everything. The theme is that you may know that you have eternal life. John writes to the, to the believer that you may know that you're saved, that you're in the family of God. Now, remember where we've been. We've been the last month. We've been on different topics over the Christmas season. John's addressing the false teachers uh, in his era. The Gnostics, the one that had special knowledge, special information, that only the elite, the enlightened knew, that they believed that spirit was everything and matter was nothing. They believed that Jesus was just really was a spirit, not really physical. It, it's something called docetism. Docetism. The Gnostics had a, a really a lack of love for the brethren. That is one of the reasons why John over and over talks about love the brethren, love the brethren, love the brethren in 1 John. Their new knowledge, their Gnosticism, was really kind of a play off of Plato, who had a great influence. Again, that matter was evil and the spirit was good. We have to remember that he was dealing with the Gnostics at this time, so he's talking about who Jesus really is. That In chapter 1, he touched him, we felt him, we walked with him. He was real. He was not just a spirit emanation. He's a real, real thing. John gives us tests in 1 John to determine whether we are genuine or not. He gives us evidence. Test number one is this. Chapter 2, verse 3 is the moral test. We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commands. Now, we know that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's not by the law. It's not keeping the commandments. But a offshoot, something that happens in our lives once we are saved, is we have a desire to be obedient to the commands of God. It's not something that you have to do. It is a heart change that you desire to do this. So that's one of the tests. Now, that's, that's the first test, is keeping his commands. Test number two was in chapter 2, verse 10. It's the relational test. He who loves his brothers, he who loves the brethren, he is the one that is truly genuine. If you hate your brother, Check your life out, whether you're really, really genuine or not. And then he says we are to love our brethren, but in chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, we are to hate the world system. Do not love the world or anything in the world. That do not is an imperative. It is a command. Don't love the world. Don't love the world system or anything in the world. Remember, it's the triunity of evil that we're dealing with, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the third one is the doctrinal test, which we'll be going through today that we're not swallowed up by the false teachers, the false doctrine, that we are, are discerning, that we're testing everything, being very discerning. Check, and it's very important that you check out what anyone is saying. And I call this the sniff test, the sniff test. Does that smell phony or is that real? You compare everything with Scripture. It's the sniff test. Check out what someone is saying. Be sure that the Scripture is rightly divided, that it's being cut straight, 
saying what it says in context, in context, in context. That's the important thing, in context, because you can make a case for anything in Scripture out of context. We want to know what God is telling us through his word and how we are to walk through this life by his word being our, our, our plumb line, our guideline. So we, we want to see about the Scripture twisting test. Context, context. Now this week, we are to be discerning and test everything. Be discerning and test everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. And as always, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. You are the teacher. Speak to each one of our hearts. Soften us. Soften our hearts. Open our minds. Let us set aside the things of the world for just a few moments. And may we hear from the God of heaven. Speak to our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So be discerning and test everything. So first of all, what is discerning? What is discerning? Well, discerning means to distinguish, to decide, to make a decision, to judge. Oh, when you tell somebody, oh, you're judging. What do they think of? Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest ye be judged, you judger. You ever been called a judger? Oh, yes, you judger. 1 Corinthians 2.15 says this, The spiritual person judges all things. Proverbs 31.9, Open your mouth and judge righteously. There is a righteous judgment. We must be discerning. Judgment is just making a, dis a discernment on something that is really and it is true. From God's perspective, it's to determine God's desire in a situation or for one's life or identifying the true nature of a thing, such as discerning whether a thing is good or evil. That's what we want to do. I want to know what God thinks about this. It doesn't matter to me what the president thinks. It doesn't matter to me what some sports person thinks. It doesn't matter to me what, what somebody in Hollywood thinks. It matters to me what God says. He, tell, he speaks to us through his word. So be discerning. Discern. Discern. Judge. Distinguish. Second thing is test. Test. Test all things. Dakimozo is the, is the word it means. Prove whether something is to be accepted as true or genuine. Is it true? And is it genuine? That is the question. Now, be discerning. We are to be discerning of our times that we're living in. We're living in what I believe he's calling here the last hour. You know what the last hour is? The last hour is the last hour of the last days. The last days are from Jesus' first coming till he comes back again. It's kind of, that's a 2,000-year period of time. But we're in the last hour. John is talking about those living in the last hour. That's where I think we are. F.F. F. Bruce says this, in the Christian era, it is always five minutes to midnight. But as the course of things runs along the edge of the final consummation, that edge at times becomes a knife edge, sharp edge. At such times, the sense of its being the last hour is especially acute. Are you sensing that today? It's knife edge. We're right on the precipice of something huge happening. I believe we're there. Antichrist, this whole thing is being prepared for the Antichrist to come. John is going to be talking about little Antichrist, little ones that, that were a prelude to the real one coming, setting the stage for the real one to come. Now, who is Antichrist? Well, let's define him. It's any false teacher depicting a false Christ is, is termed the Antichrist. And again, the prelude to the Antichrist is all these little Antichrist, all these little ones that are opposed to the things of God. The interesting thing here, the Antichrist, the prefix anti, can mean instead of or against. Instead of or against. And I think Antichrist is going to be both. See, there's a lot of Antichrists today that are just against Christ. But Antichrist is going to come, and he's going to present himself as 
the Christ. And I'll show you that in just a second. Antichrist will claim to be the Christ and deceive the world. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. And I'd like you to do this right now. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 while I'm speaking. And at the same time, listen. You can do two things at one time. He's going to be talking about the satanic delusion, the strong delusion to, to, to believe the lie. And I want you to realize the Old Testament has 33 names for the Antichrist. The New Testament has 13 names for the Antichrist. I'll just give you a few, just a few samplings. He's called the beast in Revelation 11.7. He's called the lawless one in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He's called the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, the son of perdition in the same verse, and he's called the prince who is to come in Daniel 9.26. And this person that will come, the Antichrist, that I think is right on the edge of coming, right on the edge of coming and being revealed. He is going to be supremely intelligent. He's going to be amazingly charismatic. People will flock to him. I think he is going to be someone who's just going to draw people in. He's going to be a financial genius, a military genius, a peacemaker, and he will solve the unsolvable peace problem in the Middle East. And he will broker the peace that we see in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. That actually starts the tribulation period. You want to know when the tribulation starts? It's when that peace pact is signed that was brokered by the Antichrist. Watch for that. may happen in our lifetime. may happen. I believe it will. So we'll see. We'll see. He will gain influence and power, and it will be gradual. It will be gradual. He'll come on the scene. And I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. So I still believe that we, we may be able to identify this person as he is gaining control and authority, as he's gaining control and authority. He will be a one-world ruler, a uniter of humanity, and make no mistake, he is a deceiver of deceivers of deceivers. He is out to kill you as Christians. He is an egomaniac, and at three-and-a-half-year point, he switches, and he demands to be worshipped as God, demands to be Worship as God in the temple. This is the abomination of the desolation. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, the setting here, the context is this. The Thessalonians are going through such persecution that they believe that they have missed Jesus' coming. They believe they've missed the rapture of the church. That's what I think they're talking about here. And they are very concerned. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord, the parousia, the coming of Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering to him. This is the episunagage. This is the I believe these are two different events. Gathering to him is different than him coming back and establishing his kingdom. Hear that. We'll be gathered to him. We'll spend seven years and then come back with him at the end when the parousia comes. That's the way I, I, I see eschatology. Not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. See, this, this group of people are very disturbed, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us. There were people inputting to this group of believers that they have missed it, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, in your Bible, you may have day of the Lord, but I think there's a delineation. The day of the Lord is when Jesus comes back and he establishes his kingdom, and there's going to be his wrath is going to be poured out on the earth. It's going to be a period of time. The day of Christ, I think, is the right translation that you'll have in the, the, the majority text, if you have a King James or a New King James or something like that. So the day of Christ has come. Now, there's going to be two things that have to happen. Two things that have to happen. First of all, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come 
unless the falling away comes first. So notice number one, deceive, deceive, deceive. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 24, and, and Paul talks about this. John talks about this. Deceive, deceive, deceive. That's one of the things. The day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, there are many people today that are making an argument that this falling away could be the rapture of the church. And there are some good teachers, Tommy Ice, Andy Woods. Uh, there are people like this that, that talk about this. I don't believe that that is what this is talking about. It's because the word can either mean a departure or a taking away or falling away or departure. I believe the apostasy is a falling away. And the argument is this, that the church has always had people that, fall, that fell away. But I will submit to you that most of the time, Christianity has been an oppressed religion. And if you were a Christian, you had to either be all in or not in, because you risked your life. And I think today's the day when we have a, a peanut butter church, a little marshmallow church that is so soft that they are, they're just going to be ripe for deception. I think, I think we're living in the day where we're seeing the falling away church, the lukewarm church, the Laodicean church. So I believe it's the apostasy that's what we're talking about there. But again, you may hear from other teachers, and these are very brilliant people, so make your own decision on it, what you think it is. For the day of the Lord will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So I believe the Antichrist is going to ascend to power slowly. And you who are discerning will be going, oh, man, that looks good, but, oh, I have a check in my spirit. Oh, something's off here. Something's off here. Remember, compare everything with Scripture. He's going to be a deceiver. He's going to come with a lot of truth mixed with a lie. Mixed with a lie. Now, if you would, pick it up in verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So we know that there are many antichrists that have come over the epochs of time. People that have stood up and have been against Christ. Lawlessness has always been there. And the restrainer is the key to the antichrist not being able to take full authority or full power until the restrainer is removed. The question is, who is the restrainer? Now, we've been through this. We believe that it is the Holy Spirit. Some people believe it's government. Some people believe it's umpteen different things. I believe it's the Holy Spirit-filled church. And when the church is taken out, because you can't really take the Holy Spirit out of his creation because he's God. He's omnipresent. But I believe it's the church that will be taken out at that time. He is taken out of the way, and then, oh, then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed or unveiled, exposing who he really is whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. Remember, we went through this in Revelation 19, 15. And destroy with the brightness of his coming. Oh, the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, the energy of Satan, energia, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Now, are we living in a period of time where people are looking for the spectacular, looking for the power, signs, and lying wonders? Oh, be discerning. Be discerning. It isn't all about what you see happening around you. Let's rush over here and watch the Holy Spirit do this. Let's rush. No, that is not what we're to do. We're to be immersed in the Word and be discerning. There's a deception that is coming. There's a deception that is here today. And with all unrighteous deception, verse 10, among those who perish. Notice who perishes. Those who are deceived. 
because they did not receive the love of the truth. Oh, they had a choice. They had a chance. And they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Now, the question is, what is the lie? And I believe the lie is that Antichrist is going to put himself in place of Christ instead of Christ. He's going to claim to be the Christ, and the Christ will then become the enemy who comes back. And they're going to fight against him. And his deception will be so strong that the vast majority of earth will buy into it. Now, I believe we won't be here for that part. We're going to be out of here. But we, we, I think we'll be here for, to be able to recognize this person, be able to recognize him. So the Antichrist. Now, back to John. I, I want to just encourage you. We want to live aware of the Antichrist, but not live in fear of the Antichrist. We are on the winning team. Okay, we get the victory here. But I want you to just be prepared for the deception. Now, with this background, discernment, we're talking about testing, we're talking about Antichrist, that whole thing. Verse 18 and 19. Be discerning. Don't fall for the Antichrist deception. He starts out this way. Little children. Little children. Little immature children. It is the last hour. And as you have heard the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists, or little antichrists, have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. And then he's going to tell us how we know it's the last hour. Watch this. Watch the apostasy that is happening. They went out from us, but they were not of us. They were false converts. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were of us. Now, let's see what this all means here. Let's try to break this down. So we see that the spirit of Antichrist has been in every age. There is a spirit of Antichrist right now in the world, and it's strong in the world. You see what's happening to the church in the Western Hemisphere. You see what has happened in Europe, where now about 5% of the people are Christians. You see what is happening to the population today in the millennial group or younger, where they are like Europe now. We are about 30% would be considered Christian, really Christian in this country, but it's because of the older folks that are really born again. But if you look at people that say that they're Christian, they say they're 70, 80% of the America. No, there's so many people that are deceived that think they're in this. They really aren't. John is speaking to these people. He's speaking to us to examine ourselves. He's speaking to all of us. There's a spirit of Antichrist, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. And remember, the restrainer is restraining him until he's taken out of the way. And that's the Holy Spirit-filled church, I believe. So it's instead of Christ or against Christ, both pertain to the Antichrist. And little children, the word is padia, padia in the Greek. And it means immature in doctrine, easily led astray. Little children are not very discerning. Would you agree with that? Your little child is not very discerning. They're buying, you know, that's, that's the, the state here. Now today, most Christians are little children. Now you can go to a church. And you can be a Christian for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, and you can sit there, and you can sit there, and you can sit there, and you can be a little child. Easily deceived. Easily deceived. Be careful. Little children. Satan is the great deceiver. 
So I want to suggest to you that he doesn't just deceive little children. He will deceive even the mature if they get away from the tenets of the faith. You get away from fellowship. You get away from God's word. You take a break. You take a break. And remember, this thing is so powerful that we are, remember, we have to keep our oars in the water and keep rowing forward because the world will take us away. Row, row, row your boat. It is not gently down the stream. It's against this current that's taking us away. Row your boat. Be discerning. Test everything. That is what we want to do. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Do not believe every spirit. Guess what that is? That is a command. <laughs> That's written in the imperative. That's a command. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How many false prophets, how many false teachers do we have to deal with? Many. Many, you turn on Christian television today, be discerning on who you're watching. Be discerning on who you're watching. So how do you test the spirits? How do you prove whether something is to be accepted as true or not? Look at it is everything is tested with the Word of God as our plumb line. Is this straight? Are they cutting this straight? And that's our responsibility as Bereans. Test everything with the Word of God as your plumb line. Satan is slick, folks. The demonic realm, they are very slick, very slick. 2 Corinthians 11.15 tells us that there will be ministers, that these satanic ministers that disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness. See, a false teacher, I remember I've said this many times, they're not just going, I'm a false teacher. I'm a false teacher. Neon lights blasting. I'm a false teacher. No, no. No, no. They give you some truth. They give you some truth, and then they hook you. They hook you in. You'll see that more vividly in just a second. False teachers, are, are with the neon, they don't have the neon lights blasting. Paul's warning is to elders in Ephesus. And if you would, while I'm speaking, turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 27. The elders in Ephesus. He says, this will happen. Many false teachers will come. And those false teachers, now many false teachers are themselves deceived, are themselves deceived. From the beginning, a spirit of deception has been around. In Acts chapter 20, you will see Paul speaking to the elders at Ephesus. This is on his way to Rome to die. And he leaves this great word for these, these, these elders in Ephesus. And he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I have taught it from beginning to the end. You know the beginning to the end. You know the truth of this word. It isn't cherry-picked. Cherry-picked. So many places it's cherry-picked. They give you just the ice cream and the cherry on top and the pep talks and the yay-yay, and there's, there's room for that. But you, we need to know the good, the bad, and the ugly of what to expect in our lives. The whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, an episcopos, an overseer, to shepherd, to appointment, to pastor, the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, oh, you know this will happen. Savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock, and from among yourselves, from without and from within. What will they do? They will draw away the disciples after themselves. And then he says this, watch, watch. 
Now, when you see the word watch, that means be discerning, test, be discerning, test, be discerning, test, watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you, everyone, night and day with tears. Watch, watch, be discerning, test, test, test everything. Now, I want you to focus on something. The false teachers in verse 30 were draw away. Now, that word draw away is apospeo, apospeo, and it means to drag with force. False teachers had a forceful, appealing, attractive message. And you know that people will go to hear what their itching ears want to hear. That's what happens. Now, who gets drawn away? We see in verse 30, in Acts 20, 20 verse 30, disciples. Mathetes is, is, is the Greek word. It means a pupil, a learner, one who accepts instruction. So a disciple does not necessarily mean a, a, a mature person. There can be baby disciples. There can be teenage disciples. There can be mature disciples. There's a, there's a spectrum. So it's important for every disciple must be careful who they take instruction from. Who they take instruction from, very important. The disciples' duty is this, verse 31, we saw it in Acts, Acts 20, verse 30. Watch, be alert, be mindful of the dangers, refrain from sleep. It actually, when the Zadiah is, refrain from sleep, refrain from being apathetic, being be, be, refrain from being the, the frog in the, in, the, in the boiling water. When we see things changing in our culture and we start to buy into the things that are happening, well, that's not so bad. Or 30 years ago, it would have been awful. But you've been frogged. You've been frogged and boiled, and now you're saying, oh, that's not so bad. That movie's not so bad. They only had a couple nude scenes in it, and they only used a couple GDs. You see yourself comparing? We've been frogged. We've been frogged right in the culture. Watch, be alert, refrain from sleep, discern and test. Back to. 1 John 2.18, discern and test because many antichrists have come, all with the goal of deceiving and drawing people away. Folks, there's nothing new under the sun. This has been going on from the beginning, from John's time on, from Christ's time on. It'll be more so as it comes to the end because he calls this the last hour, the last hour. That's a warning, the last hour, the end time. And I believe, like I've already said, the reason that the deception is going to be so great is because the church has become lukewarm. Lukewarm, not on fire church, not a one grounded in the Word. You can go to churches today and not see a Bible. The Word of God has been taken out. That's, that's the point. That's the point. It's the last hour. And you take the Bible away, you take the sword of the Spirit away, which is your offensive weapon, which is the Word of God. You take that away. And that makes somebody just really, really, really open to, to, to falsehood. It takes away discernment. It takes away discernment. And people, the majority, want to have it that way. They want to have a little Bible, a little touch of Jesus, just a little bit, but then give me the pep talk. Make me feel good because the, the best church service is when, oh, when I feel good. When I'm happy, happy, happy walking out, no conviction of the Holy Spirit, no conviction of sin, no change in your life, happy, happy, happy. We're Americans. That's what we want. Happy, happy, happy. I want to be happy. I also want to know the truth. 
I want to know the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Free. Yes, he would, yeah, free indeed. Free at last. Yes, free. Last hour. Now remember, these false teachers are forerunners of the Antichrist, preparing for the Antichrist. And I don't miss this. Where do these Antichrists come from? John's teaching is from within. From within. In verse 19, it's from within. They went out from us, but they were not, they were not of us. It's right from the church. The false teachers came right from within the church. Now hear this. If you investigate the cults in the history of the Christian church, you will see that cult founders all came from local churches. And they had that little bit of thing that was off, trying to draw people away. They went out from us, but they were not of us. John could not be more clear. He could not be more clear. This can't be missed. There are those who who are with us physically, but they are not with us spiritually. They are not with us spiritually. There are tares among the wheat. The wheat and the tares, they look just the same, and you will not be able to tell until the harvest which is which. There are people that are in the church that look good, sound good, and all that stuff, but they, you won't be able to tell until the harvest whether they, they were genuine. That's why we're always told to examine ourselves to see whether we're in our faith. It's always introspection. It's not for me to be looking at you and going, oh, you tear. Oh, you're very teary over here. No, that's not. It's introspection. It's introspection. Look like the real thing. Look, we are living in a time where more than ever we must be discerning. We must test the spirits. We must be ingrained in sound doctrine. Galatians 5.9, a little leaven spoils the whole lump. A little thing that's off can spoil the whole thing, can affect the group. Now, what is your protection? What is your threefold protection from deception? Now, I will suggest to you this. I don't know if you're going to hear this anyplace else, but it starts with you. It starts with you. You must, Acts 17.11, be a Berean who searched the Scriptures whether these things were true. You search the Scriptures. Now, you guys are Bereans. If I'm off, I get buzzes, I get, I get questions, and you know that sort of thing. And that's great. That's great. You study to be a Berean, make sure what you're being taught is true. That's your first line of defense. Your second line is elders. Are the elders in your body teaching the truth? Are they teaching the truth? We are, the elders' job was, remember, to protect from the wolves in Acts 20, verse 29. They were to preach the word in 2 Timothy 4 2, to convince, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, but will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. People want to hear what they want to hear. Oh no, the elders are going to preach the truth. The pastor teacher will preach the truth. And finally, he sums it up. I think this sums it up. The elder is to shepherd the flock, and 1 Peter 5 2 is a summary of everything. That shepherd is poimeno. Poimeno in the Greek, and it's significant, and then it means you feed the flock, you guide the flock, you guard the flock, and you encourage the flock to grow. Not to stay a baby, not to stay a baby, but encouraging to grow. That's the most important thing that the pastor teacher does. Feed, guide, guard, encourage to grow. And then all of us, All of us corporately, all of us are to contend for the faith. Jude verse 3 says, to contend for the faith, don't roll over, 
Don't go along to get along with the culture. Oh, no, we are to contend for the faith. What does that word contend? It means to fight for, have reverence for the truth, for the faith. Have reverence for. Jude says this, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. Earnestly for the faith. Not casually. Not just kind of, oh, I'll take it. No, earnestly for the faith. There's passion there which was once for all delivered to all the saints, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. How can any false teacher creep in unnoticed? No Bereans and no elders. And just giving you what you want. Just feeding you ice cream and cookies for the rest of your life. Oh, here's cookies and ice cream. It's great. Come to my church. That's what, yeah. Now, how do we go about contending and fighting for the faith? Now, remember this. There are many that are deceived that are trying to deceive you. So we want to address them as with compassion and love. Compassion and love. The people need to hear the truth too. People need to be rescued from the lies. Rescued from the lies. So how do we do that? Do we get in a fist fight with them? Do we act like Doberman? You know how a dog gets, they're already on alert to, to bite and no, that's not how we are we to do it. Our calling card is this, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26. This is how we do it, according to the Spirit of God who spoke to Paul. And he passed it on to Timothy. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Notice it starts out, you're a servant. You are doulos. Your will is consumed with the will of the master. It's not you winning an argument. It's not you getting over on somebody. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dulos. Must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, kind, able to teach, and not resentful. Not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Oh, I love that. Gently instruct. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Who grants them repentance in that verse? God, not you. It's not you dragging it out of them. Get right or get left. No, it's not. We do it gently. We do it with, I would say you can have some passion with it. And it's God that changes their hearts. We can't change them. He uses us in the process, but it is God that grants repentance. And that they will come to their senses, escape the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Remember, it's a spiritual battle. We fight not against flesh and blood, but all powers and principalities. That's what we're dealing with. So when you look at someone who looks so cantankerous, they're trapped. They're trapped in their disbelief. And we are to gently bring the gospel of Christ. Now, if you have to perk it up a little bit, okay. But we are to give them the truth. But if it goes into a fight, uh -uh. you want the Spirit of God to change their hearts. We can't. We can't. Be discerning. Don't fall for the Antichrist deception and contend for the faith. Verse 20 and 21. Those discerning, those testing have an anointing. Have an anointing. And this is exceedingly important. Exceedingly important. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. You're not deceived. You have from the Holy One. And you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. No false teacher can be of the truth. No lie is of the truth. 
we hear a lot about anointing. You need the anointing. Get the anointing. It sounds like it's going to be something strange is going to happen to you if you get the anointing. You know, you might be slammed against a wall or turned upside down or, you know. No, that's not what the anointing means. The word is charisma. Charisma, it means to rub over, anoint. And the word actually means to empower for service. Whenever you hear the word anointing, think empower for service. Empowered by whom? The Holy Spirit. These people, the anointing is, they have the Holy Spirit of God that allows them to discern truth from false. We have the Holy Spirit of God that allows us to discern truth from false. We have an anointing. Now, in the Old Testament, the anointing went to prophets, priests, and kings. They were anointed with oil. The oil was poured on them. That was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But remember Jesus at his baptism. The Holy Spirit came upon him. And you know what happens to you when you're saved? The Holy Spirit comes on you and in you. E-N, in you. That's actually the Greek. E-N, he comes within you. And he lives and abides forever. Every believer has the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit, hear this, is the believer's protective force against false teaching, seducing spirits, and antichrist. And the Holy Spirit is the one that will empower you to do the impossible. You want a great anointing, you will get a great mission. If you want to hold back from God, you're not going to have as big of anointing as watchman knee or somebody else, some missionary goes into some place. A great anointing, a great Holy Spirit empowering accompanies what you're called to do. He'll give the appropriateness, appropriate anointing to what you need to do. But you want to be a great, you want to be used greatly in the kingdom of God. You want to be really anointed with the Holy Spirit. Be ready to be used. Be ready to be stretched. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Oh, how many times have you heard, I'm not comfortable with that? When they first got me into this thing, it wasn't me that got me into this. It was God who got me into it. I'm going, oh, God, this is uncomfortable. And then I had a friend that got me into this more. And, I'm not comfortable with this. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. It really is. I mean, let's, let's put it where it is. It's about him. Holy Spirit empowers us. In verse 21, no lie is of the truth. Why do so many people fall for the lie? And I'll say there's about three. I'll give you three things that I came up Satanic blindness. And the blinders are only removed by God, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. Secondly, it's the influence of human teachers who masquerade as ministers of righteousness. They teach a lot of truth, but there's always a little bit of lie. And that little bit of lie, what is the purpose of it? It is to throw the bait out and to hook you. And we have a picture of a little fish up here that has been hooked. And he's coming in, and where's that guy's destiny? He's going in a bucket, and he's going to get eaten. His destiny is, he's not going to get thrown back. This isn't a, this is a, Satan's not friendly. He doesn't just throw you back. Oh, no, you're hooked, and you're taken out. That is, that is his goal. And the third one is finally, if you have sin in your life, I don't care how mature you think you are, if you start dabbling, and you're going where you shouldn't go, then you are fodder for deception. 
Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. And be careful, little feet, where you go. That's very important. That's that little children's stuff, but that is important stuff. Guard your eyes. Guide your ears. Guard where you go. Immature babies, drifters, are fodder for deception. Stay close to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will teach you. But hear this. I do not believe the Holy Spirit will teach a lethargic, lazy, undisciplined person who stays away from the Word of God and just wants to take the easy road. To be a disciple takes discipline. It takes work. It takes study. It takes time. That's what God expects of us. He gave his best. He expects us to give our best. Finally, verse 22 through 23, discern and test for the lie. And for John, he was dealing with the Gnostics, denying that Jesus, the deity of Christ. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah in the flesh. He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Who is the liar? And for John, the liar test was the deity of Christ. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's not just a spirit emanation. He came in the flesh. We did life with him. Who is the liar? Anyone who denies any of the essentials of the faith. The deity of Christ, which John dealt with, but it goes much farther than that. It goes much farther than that. It goes to the virgin birth, the resurrection. Jesus really rose from the dead. He really rose from the dead. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Sola gracia. Alone. Grace. Sola fide. By faith. Sola Christus. By Christ alone. Then we have to believe the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. That Jesus came. He died on the cross for our sins. That he was buried. He rose again the third day from the dead. We have to believe that he died in our place. If you want to be a Christian, it isn't enough to, to say, well, I know that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. You have to personalize it. He died for me, and I receive his gift of life. I receive you as my Savior, as my substitute. That's really what you're doing. I receive you, Jesus, as my substitute. You died in my place. I believe that. That's how you come into the family of God. You believe that message, the gospel message, and that Jesus is coming back. Now, if you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, amillennial, millennial, you can have that fight with whoever you want to have it with. We have our beliefs, or at least I have mine. But you have to believe that he's coming back. Jesus is coming back to make things right. You have to believe that to be a Christian, okay? That's a basic tenet of the faith. These are essentials. They are not optionals. Essentials, not optionals. And I want you to notice in verse, verse 22, the Father and the Son, he speaks as different people. Who is the liar? But he who denies Jesus as the Christ, he is Antichrist who denies the Father, a person, and the Son is a person. Why am I saying this? Because there's something called modalism. And actually, modalism comes from something very early in the church called Sabellianism. And this just means that they, they believe that God the Father became the Son at his incarnation who became the Holy Spirit, they were never three separate persons within the Godhead. That's docetism. That is a false teaching. That is a false view of God. 
That is denying the Trinity. That is dangerous. That is dangerous. And there's a lot of huge ministries that are modalist. That are modalist. In conclusion, be discerning. Test everything. Do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits whether they are from God. That is our responsibility, 1 John 4.1. How do we test? Well, we use the Word of God as our plumb line. Secondly, what is our threefold protection? Remember, it starts with you. It starts with each one of us has to be responsible. That we study the Word. That we are a Berean. That we check things out. That we are discerning. We are discerning. That we actually judge, decide, distinguish whether something is the truth. A worldly Christianity, hear this, a worldly Christianity, a, a cheap Christianity, a cost-nothing Christianity will have nothing to do with studying, being a Berean, checking things out, testing, or being discerning. You know what it will do? The worldly kind of Christianity is as J.C. Ryle puts it this way. There's a common worldly kind of Christianity. Common. Common today. This is common. Which many have. A cheap Christianity which offends nobody, requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing, and is worth nothing. That is tough, isn't it? That is tough, but it is true. It is true. It will cost you to serve the Master. It will cost you your time, talent, treasure. It will cost you your comfort. It'll cost you a little bit of uneasiness. Oh, I'm being stretched. I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to. No, don't ever use that word. Never say, I can't, when God says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And then you have elders. Elders will protect you from the wolves. Elders will preach the word. You want people who are going to preach the word that shepherd the flock to maturity. And then all of us are to contend for the faith in Jude 3. A requirement to be, to be discerning is this. We must have the anointing. We must have the Holy Spirit. You know, when you got saved, you got all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. You got the whole package. You have to walk in what you have. That's what you have to do. Walk in what you have. The, the anointing is the Holy Spirit's empowering to do. And I would suggest to you this Holy Spirit empowering is not just for ministry. This will affect your whole life. You're going to be a different husband. You're going to be a different wife. You're going to be a different parent, a child. You're going to be a different worker. You're going to be a different way that you view recreation and how you use your time and that sort of thing. When you have an anointing of the Holy Spirit, it will affect every facet of your life. Every facet of your life. God's anointing with the Holy Spirit is for each one of us, not some, all of us. We all have the Holy Spirit. Dip in to the power that is available to you. God commands every single believer who has been born again of the Spirit, who has been given a spiritual gift to use within the body to build up the body, he commands every one of us to use our spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ. And this is, this is not a, a suggestion, this is a command. Let me share with you this, 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. That's in the imperative. That's a command. Minister, that's a, not a suggestion, not, oh, if I want to. No, no, it's a command. Minister to one another as good stewards, taking care of something that God has given you, this gift. 
good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And I will suggest to you this, sidelined Christians, and there's a whole bunch, a whole bunch. I would venture to say that in here you have been sidelined at least some point in your life from your Christian walk. And I, and I can tell you, you probably weren't happy during that time. This wasn't a happy, happy time for you. Sideline Christians, out-of-action Christians, make excuse Christians. God has given you a gift, and you're making an excuse that it's too uncomfortable for me to use it. I have to go beyond myself somehow. It invariably ends up troubled and unhappy Christians. Invariably troubled, unhappy, fearful Christians. I believe that's the truth. Out of action, of no value in this war for truth. You're in a war for truth, folks. You have the truth. We have the truth. It is a war for truth. We are to give this truth to people who don't know the truth. Give it to them. Be all out for God. All out for him. And then finally, hear this. We are living in a time like none other. Now, everybody thought that their time was unique. This time is unique of unique. We talked about technology. We talked about the rapid spread of information. We talked about the Jews being in the land in 1948. We talked about the, the whole world being prepared for the Antichrist, borders coming down. We're talking about governments trying to work together for the betterment of humanity. Not under God, but under human control. It's all a setup. It is set up for the Antichrist who is coming. You are, we are living in a time like none other. And like Nehemiah, every one of us must be on the wall. Nehemiah built the wall. They had their weapons, and they built, and they watched. And they built, and they watched. All hands on deck. All hands on deck. No gaps, no holes in the wall. Everyone, the whole body is to be engaged. The whole body is to be engaged. This is not a time for cheap Christianity. And I'm just going to remind you one more time, J.C. Ryle. Worldly kinds of Christianity in this day, which many have, a cheap Christianity which offends nobody, requires no sacrifice, costs nothing, and is worth nothing. Folks, God gave us everything. He gave us his son. We have this brief time called our life. This is it. This is our timeline. We don't get redos. You don't get die and redo and die. No, this is it. This is one time. Give it your best. Give it your best. Be all out. In an era where truth is compromised and twisted, be all out with the truth. Be all out with the truth. I want to finish with a quote from Stephen Cole. And he said this about appeasement and compromise. Appeasement and compromise with the culture. That is not where we want to be. He says, during World War II, Neville Chamberlain of Britain tried to keep the peace by appeasing Adolf Hitler. After giving Poland to Hitler, Chamberlain went back to England, proclaiming peace in our times. Oh, he thought he was great. He thought he, he had a coup with Hitler. But Winston Churchill wisely observed, an appeaser is one who feeds a crocodile, hoping it will eat him last. Sure enough, Hitler later tried to eat Britain too. If we compromise truth to appease a heretic or keep somebody in the church, it will lead to our ultimate spiritual demise. To avoid spiritual deception, he goes on, be discerning of people, especially religious people, who claim to have some new truth. Oh, you ever hear that? Oh, we've got a new revelation, a new truth, new apostles and prophets that are for today. The whole apostolic reformation, the apostolic reformation. 
We've talked about this before. Rushing in the kingdom of God. Everything's going to get better. New truth. Folks, study theology. Study church history. Know what you believe. Know what to expect to be coming. Know what to expect. The scripture says this in Hebrew 13. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's nothing new under the sun, it says in Ecclesiastes 1.9. Those who say that a new thing, they, they get this from Isaiah 43.19. This is people that take things out of context. Isaiah 43.19 is talking about the Jews in the millennial reign of Christ. God's going to do a new thing with the hearts of the Jewish people. He says this, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This is a millennial promise. When people say God is doing a new thing, he is saving people the same way he saved them all along. He, discipleship is the same as it's been all along. The Spirit of God is the same as he's been all along. He's changing hearts. He's bringing people into the family of God. People are, lives are being changed. It's the same. When you get into the weird and the strange, something new, have caution. Have caution. Today, more than ever, folks, it's the last hour. Be discerning and test everything. Be discerning and test everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. This is the precious word of God. This is the truth in an epoch of time that is running from truth. When people say your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, Lord, that is no truth. The truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The Holy Spirit of truth. Thy word is truth. Those are the things we anchor our lives in. Lord, may we not be those who are deceived. May we not be those who are hooked like the fish and reeled in by the deception. May we be those who are all out for Christ. Not half in, all in. Lord, you've made us overcomers. You've given us ability to be victorious over anything in our lives. May we walk in the power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to carry out this Christian life that you desire in us. May we be different in 2019 because we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit that you have given your church, each one of us. Thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, do your work in each heart here today. Everyone has heard something different. Everyone has been touched by a different part of this. But none of us is going to walk out of here without being affected in some way by the Word of God. Speak to us, Lord, and may we respond to what you've told us. In Jesus' name, amen.